This is the Prodane Podcast, hosted by Charlie Evans and Chris Harris, uniting minds across Britain. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Prodane Podcast. Uh, my name is Charlie Evans. Um, I am not joined by my fellow co-host Chris Harris today, but I am joined by an esteemed panel of guests in Hugh Davis and Crispin John. Hugh, how are you today? I'm well, thank you. How are you? Very, very good. And Crispin, it's your second time on the podcast. Um, how the devil are we? Very good, thanks. Yes, and it's great to be with you again. Brilliant. Um, so again, we're going to follow the kind of the weekly review um, format, um, and we've got plenty to discuss, as always. But the first topic we're going to discuss today um, is that Mark Drakeford has um, kind of hinted, or rather said quite explicitly, I guess, that a referendum um, in Wales on the independence question would be a decision for the people of Wales. This is against the backdrop of an uh, opinion poll commissioned by YouGov and Yes Cymru that now shows that more Labour voters now back independence. Um, Hugh, do you think the First Minister is right to take that position? Uh, well, I, I would take his view a little bit more seriously if he actually delivered his own manifesto promises. I mean, he promised an M4 relief road in, well, along with his other uh, counterparts in the Assembly uh, in his 2016 manifesto, and yet they have failed to deliver it. Um, so I, I don't quite understand how a promise of a referendum needs to be uh, delivered uh, when he can't even deliver some of his own promises. It, uh, it does strike me as very odd. Um, Crispin, what did you make of his comments? It's very interesting. I, one, one thing that struck me is that he seems to be saying that the union can't be saved um, purely out of some sort of sentimentality uh, alone. And, and this is sort of uh, something that we've heard uh, repeatedly over the last um, week or so. Um, Carwin Jones as well in his book is sort of pushed towards some sort of federation and, and sort of said said this. But it's it's very interesting that the first minister himself um, has come up with this now. Um, I mean, to my mind, the coalition klaxon is sounding here. Um, is he thinking, well, next May I'm not going to get a majority, therefore, you know, if I start talking about this now, I might get applied votes to prop me up? I don't know. That's a really good point, actually. Um, it was certainly a perspective mm, I... It wasn't a perspective I actually thought about, actually, was the, um, the coalition, but it does seem like a bit of a shift in tone. Um, by the First Minister to kind of capture his kind of um, indie curious voters, I guess, in the, in the Labour Party. Um, Hugh, do you think, um, actually Martin Shipton actually covered this story today as well um, in the Western Mail, and our very own Chris Harris was actually quoted um, in terms of, and Chris was talking about the, the kind of the romantic argument. But what Martin Shipton also talked about is how but if a federation of England, Wales, Scotland, Northern Ireland wouldn't fundamentally work in you know, or he struggles to see how it works when England is so obviously bigger than the others. Um, Hugh, do you rec can you reconcile federalism with unionism? Um, you know, or do you just see that, or do you think that will never be enough for kind of people who want full independence? Well, it, it won't be never enough. Uh, nothing is never enough. Uh, nationalism in Scotland, Wales, and in Northern Ireland are absolutist creeds. Uh, you don't, you can't compromise with them because you know uh, they take an inch. Uh, you give them an inch, they take a mile. Um, federation is not right for Britain. We are far too integrated as a nation. 
um, to have that federal settlement. I think that federations, uh, which they, if they want to copy the German model, well, that's not exactly the best model to copy because it was created for a certain purpose. The American model is there because America is such a bloody massive country, um, which has different time zones relatively and has come to being. That's how it came to be from a federation. So I think creating a federation out of the current constitutional settlement is just a recipe for disaster, in my personal opinion. Crispin, um, on this point about the kind of Labour voter increase in terms of the uh, the core independence, is, do you think it's got a lot to do with the perceived competency um, of how the Welsh government has done, which, you know, um, tends to be pretty high yeah. uh, versus what is often felt at least, um, and it's perceived to be quite chaotic handling by the UK government. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point, um, actually, Charlie. Um, the, first, the first thing I think is, is on, on this particular YouGov poll and, and on previous polls, the sample sizes are, are, are pretty small. Um, let, yeah. Let's bear that in mind. But yeah, you, you raise a good point. I mean, <laughs> The nationalists um, in, in Scotland and in Wales seem to to want to be making a bigger thing of this now. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure where the, you know, they're focusing too much on, on the actual performance of devolved governments. And perhaps this is perhaps more applicable in Scotland, where, of course, um, the SNP are in charge th than here in Wales. But, yeah, I mean... I, if I were to support um, Welsh independence, I'd be more interested in looking at what the record of the Welsh government um, actually is on some of the core issues um, on how they've handled COVID-19, on education on and health, those sort of bread and butter issues, um, rather than the sort of more nuanced and idealistic um, ideals around the union, really. Do we... Go on, go on here. Well, I'm just looking at, at those statistics. I think in many respects, it just shows how much failure Plaid has been uh, to galvanise uh, that certain Nat voter who votes Labour. Um, you know, there's 51% of them support uh, separatism, uh, yet there doesn't seem to be a mass movement to uh, Plaid Cymru in the polls. Mm. So it, I think it just points to their failure in many respects, what the SNP has done. The SNP has basically stolen uh, votes from the Labour Party, left-wing uh, voters in the central belt, Glasgow, etc., um, who always voted Labour and are voting the SNP religiously. Um, and I think that just points to a failure of nationalism in Wales, in many respects. I think Do you're we... right. And I think... Go on, Crispin. Yeah, no, sorry, I, I was just thinking about Scotland in, in particular. I mean, Scottish Labour have been doing particularly badly there uh, over the last... You know, few years, and it, it, you know their performance there is really gone downhill. Um, it, there's not really a huge parallel to, to Wales there, but I, I think that, that Hugh has a very good point in that lots of people that might have voted Labour in Scotland have gone on over to the SNP, and to a large extent, my view is that Scottish Labour's own doing. I mean, they've had goodness knows how many leaders in the last few years. It's they're really not doing well there. No. Do we I think, think, do we think so? And I, I say this with a impassioned genius, I guess, but do we think that the breakup is perhaps inevitable, or do we see that these are just opinion polls and they can be reversed? Um, 
because I, you know, I, I am, um, I am an optimist by nature, but um, I'm concerned, obviously, by some of these opinion polls. Um, what do you guys think about that? Well, as also as an impassioned unionist, um, is one of the reasons I'm in politics is because of the union. Um, I, I do worry about what has what is happening to Britain at the moment, about the divisions which are being created by devolution. And, you know, I, I don't believe Scottish independence is inevitable. Nothing is inevitable, really, in politics. Um, you know, there is still a lot. We have a lot to fight for. I mean, we have done so much as a nation to uh, as a country around the world and here at home. There's just too much to lose just to accept the inevitable or it's perceived inevitable anyway. But Hugh, so you made a point there about um, about devolution and, and how that is mm. stretching. Um, you know, I think we look, I think this to bring it back, you know, if you look at the latest travel restrictions, Scotland, Wales, and England have all got different things, which is definitely mm-hmm. exacerbating tensions. Do you think though to save the union, therefore you need to roll back devolution first? Or do you do you think that actually you you know, you've got to be realistic, you know, the Senate is accepted, the Welsh Parliament's accepted, and you've got to somehow make it work. What what would be your well, kind of strategic vision to save the well, union? The, the British Constitution is is admired because it is flexible. Uh, nothing in built in the British Constitution necessarily is there forever. Um, you know there is a right of each constituent part of the United Kingdom to choose to reverse it if they wish to. Um, I think that in the meantime, there does need to be a strengthening of the fact that the, that Britain is a nation, is a country. Um, we need to stop this language of four nations, of, uh, you know, like we're, like we're a member of the United Kingdom. We're not a member. We're an integral part of it. We're not a membership organisation. I think there desperately needs to be the fact that we are British. We do have a sense of shared commonality and a sense of shared history. The, so, and, I, and I think that that is being uh, degraded. The way, the way I kind of... Um view it and i say this uh, i'm i uh, i say this as a i guess a christian in the sense of um the holy trinity in the sense of um you have the father the son and the holy spirit and no less is god and no more is god you know they're all and uh, that's how very much i see my kind of identity i guess in terms of being welsh and british in the sense of you know I, i'm no less welsh because i'm british and i'm no more less british because i'm welsh and i, I just see that there's a mm-hmm. synergy uh, between them but um, mm-hmm. in, um this this travel restriction latest um as it yeah. just as it pointed to actually during pandemics this devolution thing or this kind of um you know powers being in different places actually is a bit of a mess and actually this should probably be a reserve power in the future what do you think to that Yes, no, I, I think the uh, the whole confusion, and let's face it, it is confusion really about these latest travel restrictions, is is really quite symptomatic of of devolution. I mean, on the whole devolution question, I think the genie's out of the bottle. Um, it, you know, it's not going to be put back in any time soon. But with particular reference to this um, travel stuff. Um, what, what is quite interesting is that the Welsh and Scottish governments in particular have always sort of given the impression that they were going to go their own way. Up until now, um, certainly on, on what would normally be perceived as being reserved powers, 
all of the chief medical officers, all of the government seem to have fallen in together. You know, everything seems to have fallen into their laps at the same time. But now we're in a complete mess. It's not as even it's not as if Scotland and Wales are doing the same thing. If you look at the restrictions around Greece, mainland Greece, the Greek islands, Gibraltar, for example, um, it, it, it's very interesting. But yeah, I, I, I think this is where people will start to sort of think, well, you know, is this, is, has this evolution thing gone far, uh, you know, too far or, or not far enough? Um, just by this very evident, very public um, sort of difference in policy that has the uh, has the potential to, to change people's travel plans, etc., in, in quite a dramatic way, I suppose. Uh, let's move on uh, and let's talk about um, Tony Abbott. Um, so Tony Abbott was uh, obviously a uh, former Australian Prime Minister who um, <clears throat> has been appointed as a UK trade envoy, uh, but he's becoming to for some uh, criticism and by extension the UK government because of um, uh, purported and uh, accusations made of alleged misogyny and homophobia. Um, Tony Abbott's uh, sister, I believe it was today, came out actually defending him and said actually he's nothing of the sort. And he is, you know, incredibly tolerant of, of, of these sorts of issues. Um, Hugh, what do you make of this whole row? Uh, well, again, I, I do think this is over-exaggerated by certain elements of the left. Um, yes, Tony Abbott did make what, what would be homophobic comments, um, but then he rode back on them. He said, uh, I think one comment was that he, he, he felt a bit frightened by uh, some of the homosexual community. Uh, but then a few years later, when the comments were put to him, uh, and his sister criticised him on this perspective, he admitted he was wrong and reversed it. Um, he also has been uh, attacked for being homophobic because he believes in um, a traditional marriage. Um, I, I, as a person who supported uh, same-sex marriage, um, I wouldn't class him as homophobe for that. Um, you know, he, he has a, a particular view of marriage, doesn't make him a homophobe, but also he allowed uh, the uh, mechanism for that referendum they had in Australia for there to be same-sex marriage to be uh, made legal. Uh, and bearing in mind his opposing uh, leader of the Labour Party in those days, um, Julia Gillard, was also uh, against um, gay marriage. Uh, so, but nobody seems to want to call her a homophobe when she wants to visit Britain and she visits Wales very often actually because she was born in Barry. So I do think there does need to be a little bit of perspective here about some of the comments he made. Crispin, do you think this is almost like a we talk a lot about cancel culture rather, you know, there's, there's almost little grace for people to have made mistakes in the past or, or alternatively in this Western world we live in currently, there's not much pluralism. You know, you have to think certain things to be accepted by, uh, you know, to be accepted in, in public life. Um, do you think this is a, another part of that sort of uh, problem or debate? You know, what do you think of this whole situation? I, I think perhaps it is to a certain extent. Um, I mean, t Tony Abbott, I think, is a great um, appointment as a trade envoy. Um, I think he's got a lot of uh, skills in that regard. Um, he, he may have had or held views in the past, which may not reflect his views now. You know, I don't know. But what I would say is, you know, and I, I feel like I, actually I do feel quite strongly uh, about this because a lot of this um, 
anti-Abbott stuff, I suppose, is coming from the left. And I'm not going to take any lessons from people on the left on homophobia. I mean, the, these are people that um, wanted to vote in as prime minister, a man that supports terrorist groups who want to throw gay people from buildings. Um, you know, the wreath, the anti-Semitism, we, we could go on. Um, I haven't heard one sensible comment um, from the Labour Party in recent months, if not longer than that, on international trade. Um, perhaps, you know, the left would be better off if they kind of engaged in that sort of discussion on how we sort of um, free up and facilitate global tra trade in a post-Brexit world rather than harping on about this. Uh, I think it's interesting you mentioned Keir Starmer, um, not Keir Starmer, Jeremy Corbyn, actually. Um, we, we saw Keir Starmer give that little TV interview kind of um, <clears throat> saying his appointment was, you know, a shocker and that, you know, all of his old mm. views and stuff. And he was campaigning for that same Jeremy Corbyn um, who uh, had links to Hamas and Hezbollah. Well, it's, not only, it's not only that, uh, Charlie. There are members of the current Parliamentary Labour Party who voted against um, equal marriage seven or eight years ago. And, you know, that, is he calling some of his own MPs homophobic? Mm. Um, you know, there's definitely some perspective here. Um, let's move on to um, the, the American race and politics. Um, we uh, have obviously Trump and Biden now starting after the convention season, starting to, I guess, narrow in the polls. Um, now um, probably going to kind of the burning streets and the anarchy and the, the chaos, which seems to be going in Trump's favour a little bit. Questions have been raised about um, Joe Biden's uh, cognitive ability and, um, you know, whether he's fit for office. Uh, obviously, Trump continues to be Trump, though, and by no means, in my opinion, at least, a uh, um, you know a, a moral, upstanding leader that the, the Western world deserves. But nonetheless, um, Crispin, how do you view this race going? Do you think Trump will eventually win? Is he coming forward back? Um, you know, what do you think? Um, gosh, it is interesting because the polls are narrowing. Um, I, I was watching um, last week the Republican um, convention and Ivanka Trump. Um, introducing the great Donald and saying, yes, Donald Trump has changed Washington. Uh, and that's probably true, whether or not it's for the better. I, I'm, I mean, even for me, the jury's out on that one. Um, is Trump likely to win? I don't know. But I, 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 I you know, I, I think, yes, you'll probably snitch it for um, a second term. Although I, I will be ruining that come, uh, come the end of November, I, I suppose, when listening back to this. But... Yeah, mm, I, 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 mm, I just think that in all of these uh, sort of protests um, that we're seeing in America and, and really some quite shocking scenes, um, I just wonder if Donald Trump is perhaps being sat on the sidelines maybe a little bit too much um, and whether or not that might in certain areas, given the, the Democratic vote is perhaps traditionally stronger in some of the more urban areas of America, that that might hurt him a bit. But we'll, we'll see. On that point, well, actually, on that point uh, about, um, you know, Trump, you know, is, is obviously lamenting the anarchy, the destruction. I think <clears throat> there was a situation where um, in in Portland where Trump offered to use kind of, um, you know, powers of the federal state to intervene, but they said he said no. Um, what do we, what, what do you, do you think, Trump has the power to actually do something about these protests and actually he's just sitting on his hands because it benefits him politically and therefore that's, you know, pretty damning. 
Well, in, in many respects, he's, ha- he's having to work within the remit of the Constitution of the United States. Um, he can't li- really send in the National Guard uh, into a state if a state go- if a state governor or particularly in this respect a, a mayor uh, says no. Yeah. Um, from my understanding of how it works, um, so he, he's he's constrained in that respect. But I do think that this uh, rioting does benefit him. I will put my head on the block here and say that I think he will win in November. Although I I, I probably may be proven wrong, um, but I think the uh, just the way things are going at the moment. Uh, underneath what the polling is showing, I think he will have a very a, a victory of some sort. I don't know what states will change hands, or he may just currently have the states he, he won last time. Um, but I do think that as long as these riots continue, as long as this uh, he can use law and order as a particular subject to batter uh, Biden with, uh, then the left, certain parts of the left, are handing in victory. And uh, finally, in uh, the latest uh, non-socially distant protest news, um, Extinction Rebellion um, took to the streets of Cardiff uh, to um, deface shop windows and, uh, you know, gen- generally uh, indulge in, in that sort of uh, chaotic rebellion. Um, Crispin, do you think Extinction Rebellion do more to put people off the cause of environmentalism and the cause of climate fighting climate change than than they do to attract people to it? Or do you think actually extreme actions are often necessary to raise attention to this issue? Um, the the former I I'm I must admit um I, I think that a lot of people that have joined some of these extinction rebellion um sort of protests and, and this whole movement um have have signed up on the dotted line not because they um they, they, they're sort of hugely uh, strongly feeling about climate change uh, and, and all the rest of that. I think, you know, for some people, it's an excuse to express some sort of discontent or disenfranchisement from from the state, from from government, as it were. And it's sort of any particular issue on, on which you wish to hitch your bandwagon. Um, I don't dis- I don't dispute that there are a lot of people within that movement who do their care very passionately um, a- about what they believe in, um, wh- you know, wh- whatever the rights and wrongs a- 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 of that. I do think they, that um, particularly in, in this sort of environment, in the midst of a pandemic, we're still in the midst of this pandemic. I don't think they're really going about it in the right way. And I, I don't really agree with what they're doing, quite frankly. I think the um, the hypocrisy of it all, yet again, you know, um, Piers Corbyn um, got fined £10,000 for holding his anti-lockdown, anti-mask um, protest. And, you know, I'm, I'm not no fan of Piers Corbyn. I think he's, quite frankly, barking mad on, uh, on many things. But surely there's a hypocrisy in the fact that these Extinction Rebellion protesters, the Black Lives Matter protesters, you know, there never seems to be any action in terms of, um, because it kind of goes along with the, the social uh, orthodoxy, if you like. But when it comes to, um, you know, Piers Corbyn and, you know, and um, <clears throat> hosting this, you know, this this thing, and yes, there were, by the sounds of it, there were some uh, some neo-Nazis there, and that's obviously to be condemned. Um, but but nonetheless, nonetheless, there does seem to be a certain hypocrisy of it all that, you know, he got fined £10,000 and the others didn't. Hugh, what do you think about this? 
Um, I kind of agree with you there. I, I you know, Piers Corbyn was right to be fined ten thousand pounds, quite frankly, because you know you're living your idiot going out in the middle of a pandemic uh, with all those people and um, without masks and not properly social distancing. Um, I do, however, think I do agree that the, that the others who also uh, did the same thing uh, should also be suffer the same penalty. Um, you know, that's law and order. That's the that's how the law should be enforced in this country. Um, I do, however, going back to what Crispin said on the, the Extinction Rebellion, you know, they have a right to protest um, because we do live in a democracy. And I think if you, I don't know, you may have seen that there's a video online by Tom Harwood. Uh, showing how the Eskinson Rebellion uh, stopped, was stopping an NHS ambulance uh, getting across one of the London bridges. Um, so in many respects, some of their protesting is getting beyond very dangerous. Um, you know, there are other ways to protest and other ways to push your message rather than just, uh, you know, doing that kind of protesting, um, you know, causing traffic jams, uh, which increases the amount of pollution in the atmosphere. You know, talk about shooting yourself in the foot. <laughs> Um, yeah, I mean, I think one of the just, I mean, in the previous protests in London, one of the iconic um, images that will stay with me was when they had um, a gas guzzling fire engine, took it up oh, to quite. the Treasury, tried to spray that with fake blood um, that backfired. Um, but, you know, spraying a listed building with um, goodness knows what, what was in that on, on the back of a gas guzzling chemical not really sort of the the best promotional advert for some outfit that claims to be uh, wishing to protect the environment yeah in many respects i i think crispin is that um you know there was a banner used by one of the extinction rebellion uh protesters saying extinction or socialism i do mm. sometimes think that they are using this to further that cause um and, and and i'm sure as many people listening will i hope feel that um you don't need socialism to tackle climate change at all Mm. <laughs> quite frankly yeah. uh so yes you know well interesting conversation as always um thank you very much uh hugh and crispin and um, we've covered a lot of ground again in 25 minutes 30 minutes or so um up on the podcast next week uh we are joined by matthew mckinnon and darren hill where we'll be talking about subject midweek and also we'll bring you the weekly review too but as always check out the website for more over the weekend and the following days thank you very much speak to you soon Thanks for having us. Thank you. For more from the Prodane Review, head to prodane.review on any web browser. Alternatively, check out at Prodane Review on Twitter or Facebook.